Hello and welcome to the Great Obsession Podcast, where we talk about things that we're obsessed with and also books. Sometimes those two things aren't the same. (laughs) (laughs) But this week, I think it's safe to say they are because we are going to be talking about Six of Crows, continuing our foray into Lee Bardugo's Grisha verse. And if you haven't read Six of Crows, I would definitely recommend you read it, uh, but turn back now because this episode will be full of spoilers for only Six of Crows. We will not be discussing Crooked Kingdom until our next episode. So, yeah, I don't have much more to say. I'm Riley. And I'm Sam. And uh, occasionally we have explicit language just a Ah, caveat if you are not about that or are in a space with some sensitive ears that wouldn't want to hear this or you wouldn't want them to hear it just as an fyi but yes i'm super super hyped to talk about this book i will say before we start i do have to say just like i have to take a moment of um like apology to Lee Bardugo, who I absolutely <laughs> shredded um, in our previous episodes on the Shadow and Bone trilogy. Um, I'm sorry, Queen. You really showed me who's boss. Uh, this book was fantastic, made up for all of the reading I did not enjoy in Shadow and Bone. And I, I just really don't think we can understate like how much her writing and her storytelling really improved between this the shadow and bone series and the six of crows series um i was actually thinking about this the other day and i was like man i wish she could rewrite shadow and bone for real like with her like current writing expertise because Shadow and Bone, the first book is really good because it's a really fascinating premise. It's a really interesting world. It's like very compelling magic system and it gets lost, I think, a little bit because she's just not a super experienced writer. But all the things I didn't like about Shadow and Bone are things that I absolutely loved in Six of Crows. Like the improvement is unreal. And I just have to acknowledge that and I just have to give her mad props and nothing but respect from me, Miss Bardugo, and my apologies. <laughs> my apologies to Lee Bardugo and her family at this time. Because I agree, we really like railed on her in the last few episodes. Uh, and I honestly, so I read Six of Crows first, and I was worried that you were not going to want to read it, or like we're going to struggle to get into it because of how discouraged you were after Shadow and Bone. But I was like, no, like, go ahead, just read it. And it sounds like you loved it just as much as I did, which makes me really happy. Yes, Yes, 100%. I think that this book is just, it's such a ride. You know, it's the characters are a good time. And we can talk about, we will talk about them more in depth. But the plot in this book is just an absolute ride where I was like, I don't know what's going on. And I love the fact that half the characters also don't know what's going on at yes. any time. And um, I, yeah, it was just, 
highly, highly enjoyable to read. 10 out of 10, would recommend. Agreed. I think something interesting that um, I heard when I was listening to the Actia Age podcast, which is a podcast I fully recommend if you love books, um, they were talking about this duology. And something they said was they were kind of speculating about how Lee Bardugo released Shadow and Bone in the early 2010s, I believe. I don't actually know what year exactly it came out. Maybe you could look that up. But um, back then, that was like the age of, you know, the Hunger Games and Divergent, like YA dystopia and just tropes upon tropes upon tropes, love triangles everywhere kind of thing. And so they were thinking maybe she had some pressure from like publishing houses. You know, she was a new author trying to get her book picked up. So there may have been kind of this pressure to like adhere to the formula that was popular at the time. Mm -hmm. And because Shadow and Bone definitely did kind of adhere to this like chosen one story type of formula. And I think my favorite thing about Six of Crows is that it was like, a complete 180 it's like the opposite of a chosen one story it's like a bunch of no ones and nothings who find each other and and make something out of themselves and I think it's really cool to just see what she was able to do once she established herself as an author and just really took off okay so you know what's so crazy to me is I googled Mm -hmm. the release dates and Shadow and Bone came out in 2012. So, yeah, early mm, 2010s. Yep. And then she's released a book every single year after. So Siege and Storm 2013, Ruin and Rising 2014, Six of Crows 2015, Crooked Kingdom 2016. And then she took a break before she came out with King of Scars in 2019. But I just think it's crazy to me that she went straight from the Shadow and Bone trilogy into six of crows no delay no that is crazy she must have been ruminating on it and planning it for a while because like a story like this a heist with so many complex moving parts so much research you'd have to do like it's so impressive well and i think it kind of lends like that knowledge sort of lends uh to your theory of her potentially feeling like she had to come out like for her debut series had to be something that really fit this mold um Mm -hmm. and that six of crows and that sort of storyline or themes and whatnot were in the back of her head and that's like maybe what she I don't want I don't want to say what she wanted to write I really that that feels too far to speak for her but yeah yeah just something that she had in the back of her head that she potentially didn't feel like she could write about um I think that's I think that's quite interesting yeah yeah and I mean obviously it's all speculation but I mean when they were talking about that on the Actia Age podcast I was like that is so interesting because it like Shadow and Bone certainly does adhere to like that 2012 formula and Six of Crows does not. Dude, I had, I'm so sorry. I'm on Google, and so I just read Uh this, and it shook me to my core. I am obsessed with this fact. So Lee Bardugo suffers from osteon um, cirrhosis. I'm definitely saying that wrong. But sometimes she has to use a cane 
which was the source of her inspiration um, for one of the story's six main protagonists, master thief, game boss, Kaz Brecker. And I am obsessed with that. Yeah, she actually says that in the acknowledgments, at least oh, in my wow. copy of Six You're not of Crows. obsessed with that because you already know. <laughs> I already knew. Um, I was actually going to bring that up, though, because the so the first couple sentences of the acknowledgments say, I have a degenerative condition called osteonecrosis. Yeah, see, now you get this, to pronounce it. Yeah, hopefully I pronounce that right. She says... This basically translates to bone death, which sounds kind of gothy and romantic, but actually means that every step I take is painful and that sometimes I need to walk with a cane. It's no coincidence I chose to create a protagonist struggling with similar symptoms, and I often felt that Kaz and I were limping along this road together. Isn't that so... Like, I read that and I was really touched by that. Like, yes. I think she drew a lot from her own experience in creating this this mm-hmm. character who is inhibited by this disability but not really but not really it's just more of i think it's interesting because if anything his disability just like reinforces so many pre-existing like character traits and mm-hmm. personality aspects so it, that I think it it just really elevates you like you as the reader getting to know him the experience is elevated um when you have that further context I think yeah totally that Okay, that makes me want to start talking about the characters and Kaz. But before we do that, I had an idea for our episodes from now on, which is, what if we rate out of five stars, or actually out of ten, out of five is stupid, out of ten, um, at the beginning of every episode, and then after we spend an hour discussing, we rate again at the end of the episode, because on this podcast, we normalize changing your opinion after presented with a new perspective. (laughs) I hate that I just said the word normalize. I'm so sorry. But I thought that would be fun because I do feel like sometimes after I talk to you about a book, I'll be like, hmm, yeah, maybe that wasn't as good as I thought it was. Or like, oh, wait, now I see like a different side to this character and I think this book is better. So, I mean, I, if, if I'm being honest, I'm giving Six of Crows 10 out of 10 right now, but we'll see if that changes. So here's what I'm, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 and here's okay. why. Okay. I am giving it a nine out of ten because I have read Crooked Kingdom and it's better than Six of Crows. And oh, I can't so go true. Any higher. <laughs> so that's so true. You know what? Okay, I think because I had rated this five in my head, Six of Crows is five stars, but it's maybe not ten out of ten. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> yeah, on maybe... Goodreads I gave it five stars, and but see, this and is that's... not stars. We're doing ratings. I think it's uh, so okay. interesting because it's so hard to rate because you don't know a 10 until you've read a 10 and like the bar keeps getting higher with like every book that you've read so it's true i'm gonna give this i'm gonna give this a cool 8.5 okay okay i think i will lock in my rating at nine because i agree crooked kingdom is better uh but we'll talk about that next episode yeah (laughs) so all right all right let's talk about kaz our mm-hmm. 
tech I guess he's sort of the protagonist because he's kind of the first character you meet and he's like the leader of the group mm-hmm. um and I I think that in this series we get to see a dark morally gray character done really well I think mm-hmm. Lee Bardugo tried to do kind of this dark character with the darkling but she did not pull it off nearly as well with the Darkling in Shadow and Bone as she did with Kaz. Because he, Agreed. we start out with this opening scene where I don't totally remember everything that happens in that scene. But essentially, he proves himself as like someone who's not afraid to get his hands dirty and threaten people and hurt innocent people for his own gain. And so reading this, like starting out, I was kind of like, whoa, all right. Yeah, I was like, bro is this violent. This is a lot. Yeah. And like, he's almost, not... It was almost like a turnoff, where I was like... Because I knew going into yeah. it, I knew that Kaz was, like, a fan favorite. And it's uh-huh. interesting, because this is very similar to the experience I had when we were reading Cruel Prince. And oh, uh-huh. Cardin, in the beginning of that series, not really a spoiler if you haven't read the series very apparent from the beginning he's just like kind of awful and very cruel as the title says and so I was like (laughs) don't get the hype don't get why people like him but then just like in Cruel Prince by the time I finished Six of Crows I was like I would die for you I love literally absolutely my gosh no it's totally well and I think he's not my favorite character in the book I I want to be clear on that because I do have a favorite. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we can but I get do, to that. I do love him. I just want to be clear on that as well. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I love him. I, I think he just presents this really interesting dichotomy, if that's the right word. Like because he's he's hard and soft at the same time. He's very very vulnerable underneath, but his like what he presents to the world is so hard. Like, to, yes. a, to a very extreme degree. Like, he's very violent. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty, literally. And he, he kind of represses his humanity with really strong force. But because we get his POV, we get to mm-hmm. see what's kind of inside. Well, and I think that raises up a super important point with why this book is so good and why this like story of a bunch of outcasts who are all kind of like objectively very flawed you know whatever their people group Mm -hmm. origin that they're coming from everybody's like yo you're the worst or you've betrayed us or you are too violent or you you know broken all these different things that if we didn't also get each of their POVs, it would be hard. It would be so much harder to love them. But because we do, and we get to see a, how they feel about themselves and like what they're internally Mm -hmm. thinking when they're doing questionable things, but also how they internally feel about the other characters, I think makes it so like, it's just so compelling that like, Jesper, for instance, that we get every single character's take on him, and then you get yeah. his own take, and 
I think he in particular, I mean, they all do this to a certain extent, but like he is Kaz's complete opposite of he is projecting also a very distinct image, but it's one that's very carefree and very like, you know, doesn't, doesn't care about anything, goes with the flow, is just here for a good time, not a long time. But then when mm-hmm. we get to know him and we get to know how the other characters know him, th- there's just like so many more layers there. And I, we should bring it back to Kaz, but I just think that the, the multi POV is absolutely essential in why this book is so good. I agree. It's done perfectly. It's done so well. And I think one of my biggest issues with Shadow and Bone was, I think I, I'm sure I said it a million times in the last episodes. I don't really like first person POV. I don't, I don't like it. I love getting multiple POVs like this. And this was just done so well because you, you can always tell whose POV it is. Like I was never having issues like getting mixed up. Like, wait, whose POV is this again? Like, she would always write in something during a conversation. If you're reading from Kaz's POV, you would quickly get like Kaz thought to himself, blah, 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 and then move on. And so it, she was always throwing in stuff like that, that reminded you whose POV it was. And I really appreciated that because it made it really easy to read without me having to Mm -hmm. like think very much. Yeah. And I think also her choice to have every PO, like there's no, two chapters that are the same POV. It's like constant alternating. I really, really liked that because it like, it like really keeps me in the story because I want to know what happens next, but then I get sucked into this other character and then I get invested there and then I get moved somewhere else. And you're like constantly like, I gotta, I gotta read more and more because I, I want to figure out how all this is playing out. I think that was something that I really enjoyed. Right, and we never spend too much time away from one POV Mm-mm. either. So, like, because there are, have been books I've read in the past where it's like, by the time I get back to someone's POV, I've totally forgotten Can't where remember. what was even going on. And I did not have this problem with this series. So, I also, shout out to Lee Bardugo for not giving us a cliffhanger at the end of every single chapter. Like, there were some chapters where it would end and I would be like, nice, I'm excited for a new POV. Instead yes. of like, oh no, why am I going from Kaz to Math- Math- Okay, Matthias or Matthias? I, I think I, it's... Oh God, you're usually right. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. My copy of Crooked Kingdom has a pronunciation guide in the back for all the names. I looked at it. I was shook. It's Matthias, according to no. that pronunciation. I called him Matthias the whole time. Not for me. It's Matthias till I die. <laughs> I I can try and change it in my brain, but it's Matthias. I'll try and say Matthias for the sake of anyone listening who listened to the audiobook, um, because I'm sure that they pronounced it right there. But here's another problematic one. It, it's Genya. It's not Genya. And we called her Genya the whole Shadow and Bone episodes. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. So P. annoying. I know. There are a few others that I'm sure will come up as we keep talking that I was like, say what? Like, oh, um, Van Eck. It's pronounced Jan Van Eck. I was calling him Jan. <laughs> I was calling him <laughs> like Jan. Like the sure Jan. <laughs> I know. I actually, I was like, LOL, it's kind of funny. He has like, like the name of like a soccer mom. I found that endearing. Yeah. 
but I guess yeah. that's not it. I guess he has like a German no. man name. He does. He does because Kirch is like pretty much Germany somehow. Um. Anyway, before we got distracted with that, oh, we were Kaz. talking about the POVs <laughs> and Kaz. Yeah. Okay. So something I did want to say about Kaz is this is going back to what you said, kind of at the beginning of the episode about like his, how his uh, disability is something he he kind of takes it and uses it to his advantage in that it's something that makes him into this persona like this character of this like roughed up barrel dude who is not afraid to take hits and who's not afraid to get messy and who's not afraid to get hurt and so he he also I liked how in the beginning we learned that he wears these gloves we don't know why and there's all these rumors flying about oh it's because the blood of his enemies is constantly staining his hands like ridiculous stuff like that but we learned pretty early on in the book from Inej's POV she sees him take off his gloves and his hands are just normal and Inej is like hmm I don't know why he wears the gloves but I don't ask and so we we know that he wears these gloves and he likes that people spread all these rumors about him and he just lets it happen because it kind of creates him into this like mysterious persona uh, that he wants to wear as armor essentially. And I think that's really interesting about him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really, his encouragement uh, and like his own actions to cultivate this persona and like this sort of, legendary self um, Mm -hmm. or legendary identity, I guess is maybe a better way to say that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because as you read, especially his POV, you figure out that it's not so much that he's interested in making a legacy for himself as much as it Mm -hmm. is trying, I think, to continue to suppress like his own humanity and like he wants to create as much separation between who he is now and who like he was when he came to Ketterdom mm-hmm. and I think it's it just is interesting because the more you get of his POV the more you realize that like at the beginning of the book and what some of the other characters think of him as is his persona and it's not the mm-hmm. real Kaz. And you don't realize that until you get further in and you're like, oh, there's some real depth here. And it's not so simple as he just wants to be powerful and have a ton of money. There's like a whole nother layer behind what's driving him and the persona he wants to create. Yeah, there was actually a, a quote that I took note of where there's like a very direct contrast between what Kaz is thinking and what he actually says. It's when him and Inej are on the boat headed to the ice court and they're talking and it says, they were sitting close together, their shoulders nearly touching. Her eyes were so brown, they were almost black. And for once her hair was down. She always wore it tied back in a ruthlessly tight coil. Even the idea of being this near someone should have set his skin crawling. Instead he thought, what happens if I move closer? I don't want your prayers, he said. Inej, what do you want then? The old answers came easily to mind. Money, vengeance, Jordy's voice in my head silenced forever. But a different reply roared to life inside him, loud, insistent, and unwelcome. You, Inej, you. 
He shrugged and turned away. To die buried under, buried under the weight of my own gold. And I sighed. Then I'll pray you get all you ask for. So, like, he's very clearly having these thoughts, like, I want something more. But these these answers of, like, money, vengeance, kinds of, th- are just, like, kind of what's on the surface. And he just is not willing to let those vulnerable thoughts out at this point in the story. So... He lies and tells Inej that what he wants is to die buried under the weight of his own gold. Which is also like, okay, that's a little (laughs) morbid. (laughs) I know. This whole book is like ever so slightly morbid. But you're like, there's like enough also going on. And the dialogue is so funny and witty that you're like, I'll just just roll with all this like morbidity. And it's fine. This is just like the funniest like morbid book I've ever read it is it's so funny and it's they have just like this dark dry sense of humor which is understandable based on the fact that they all live in the barrel and they all come close to death all the time and they're constantly like fighting to survive and fighting for their lives so it makes sense why they've kind of all developed this this dark sense of humor but that's another thing I love about Kaz is he's obviously this dark brooding character with this mysterious murderous persona but he's also got a sense of humor that he lets he lets it show. Like he's not he doesn't hesitate to joke around and be sarcastic with people, and I really liked that about him. It's like mm-hmm. he like lets that be part of his persona and it's him and Jesper going back and forth is just such good Wait. content. I Jesper is absolutely hilarious and you pulled out a quote that I just Uh, I want to bring up because it was just, it's just so funny. The Jesper and Kaz constant (laughs) ping-ponging. And it's like, do they hate each other? Do they love each other? Like, are they best friends? Are they enemies? So I die. Um, But this was a quote that you had pulled out in reference to Jesper using his uh, fabricator power for the first time in front of others. Oh, yeah. And it says, what is he doing? Asked Matei. Matthias? Matthias? Yeah. Matthias? And it says, performing an ancient Zemini ritual, Kaz said. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> and I could just I could just hear it in my head. And it's so funny because you know Kaz only speaks in monotone. Like, he's just, like, totally off jokes and, like, sarcastic comments with no inflection whatsoever. And you know Ma- Matthias has never uh-huh. encountered sarcasm in his life. Like, he is just such a straight and narrow, literal boy that it just... <laughs> oh, man, it's so, so funny. I'm dead. Yeah, there was... There's another quote I had pulled. It's, like, similar. About where, the um, <laughs> Yeah, so they're, they're arguing about um, how they're going to enter the ice court. And Kaz says, we enter from the north as planned. Jesper knocked his head against the hole and cast his eyes heavenward. Fine, but if Pekka Rollins kills us all, I'm going to get Wyland's ghost to teach my ghost how to play the flute just so that I can annoy the hell out of your ghost. Brecker's lips quirked. I'll just hire Matthias's ghost to kick your ghost's ass. And then Ma- Matthias, my ghost won't associate with your ghost. <laughs> well, you have <laughs> so to read funny. The, the second part because it says my ghost won't associate with your ghost matthias said primly and then primly. wondered if the sea air was rotting his brain <laughs> Dead. so it's funny. so good there were so many just like 
times when I was reading that I would stick my little page marker in just because I was laughing. I was like, I need to come back and read this again because this is so funny. (laughs) And I, I love that everyone in the group, I think, has like contributes to the the Mm -hmm. comedy of it all everyone is funny and i love that about everyone um i think we can kind of move on to jesper we're already talking about him quite a bit but i love him oh my gosh my son he okay (laughs) i think jesper is interesting because it's kind of like you said at the beginning it or you said recently, you're trying to figure out, do him and Kaz hate each other? Are they besties? Do they even trust each other? So that's kind of hard to figure out. And then Jesper is just, he's just such a wild card. I think he's described in the beginning as like wearing crazy clothes, like lime green pants Mm -hmm. and just like, (laughs) he's just wilding with his fashion sense. And he's kind of just carefree and doing whatever he wants. And it, it kind of takes a while to figure out, like, is he actually carefree? Like, what does he care about? And I think we slowly see more and more of him throughout this book as he starts to care about people. And he does care about Kaz, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think he also cares about Inej a lot. Like, I yeah. think um, you see that his his friendship with her is like very genuine and they are like bonded over their mutual exasperation of Kaz at all times where they're like why is this our life and I find that Mm -hmm. super endearing um and I also find I think coming out of the shadow and bone series I think Lee Bardugo does a really interesting thing with Jesper and his powers and how he is just like very much so in denial of those very Uh much so you know in Shadow and Bone it's like oh to be Grisha is to be you know revered and it's powerful and yes it's it's just like something really positive to some extent, well, or at least it's something that people really take pride in. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Um, versus, and it earns you some privilege in Ravka. Yes, you most But definitely. it does not in Ketterdom. No. And I think it's interesting because you have Nina, in contrast, who is more or less openly using her power and has had to make ketterdom related uh concessions because she's openly using her power she like gets uh-huh. um i think she's in she's indentured is she not uh I, at the bra at the she's like I'm at a not sure house. is she even indentured i know she works at the house of the white rose kind of like as a way to stay hidden i don't feel like it i don't remember if she's actually indentured there or not well all that to say is she is an example of like Agrisha still using their powers mm-hmm. within that setting and figuring out how to live, but it becomes apparent that Jesper is like he like wants to distance himself from that so much, and mm-hmm. I think especially um, it's interesting that it even when he's in life or death situations, that's not that is not a power he's reaching for to use. 
It isn't mm-hmm. until we get much further along in the book where his power has kind of come up a few times that he really starts to lean into it only in a life or death situation. And I just think that's a really unique perspective on the Grisha power and like the impact of this political world that they're living in mm-hmm. and how, you know, politics plays a huge role in this book, which I think is so interesting when you think about the world building that she created, like like to create this whole other universe is one thing with its own magic system and, you know, social structures and everything, but then to create an international like political crisis within that, that we as readers understand all the implications and layers of, I think is really, really interesting. Um, But yeah, I I think what she does with Jesper and his power was a really interesting twist and nice contrast to how Nina uses her power. Yeah, it's true. You see them really contrasted against each other. And there's an interesting part where that that time that Jesper uses his power for the first time to like create a lockpick out of the bar, um, he someone in the I don't I was just reading this quote, but I didn't write it down. Someone else in the group says, Oh, you're Grisha. And Jesper goes, barely. And then someone else in the group goes, you either are or you aren't. Like, there's mm-hmm. no such thing as barely. But in Jesper's head, I think he's he's pushed this power so, so deep. far down. He Yeah, he does not want to acknowledge it. He doesn't want to use it. He wants to think of himself as separate from other Grisha because he's, like, only barely Grisha. But it's not true. Like, that is part of his identity, and it, he does not want to accept it. Well, and that's that scene actually like brings up a really interesting thought that I really hadn't had. And I had a whole bunch of these when I was like reviewing this book in preparation for this, all of these things Mm -hmm. that we know at the end of the book, put the earlier events in of the book in just like such a different light. And one of them Mm -hmm. is like Jesper doesn't like this ability. He doesn't like to show it. He doesn't like to own it. So it's, really interesting to me that Kaz is clearly fully aware that he has this ability and not only that but they're actively it's it's been a part of the plan since day one and Jesper yeah and Kaz had worked that out right and so then it just like begs the question how did he find out like what does that say about the trust in their relationship Kaz and Jesper and and I'm honestly not sure because it's like, does Jesper think that Kaz would ever use him or reveal that? Or is it works too much to Kaz's advantage to have this secret over Jesper? Like, there's just a lot of layers there that I think mm-hmm. are really, really interesting. But I think the fact that he gets Jesper to use his powers for this pre-established plan really, I don't know. I, I'm just, like, really excited by thinking about the dynamics of that that's so true because we don't get to see that conversation but I bet Jesper was really resistant at first like absolutely Mm -hmm. not I'm not using my power and Kaz being like you have to also well because he's asking him to use his power in the place that he probably has the greatest fear of using it because at that point they're in Kyrta and obviously they're Grisha hunters and so I think that adds a whole nother layer uh love it 
Yeah. Yeah, for real. Love, love, love. And while we're talking about Jesper, uh, I want to talk also about Wylan because Jesper and Wylan's dynamic (laughs) is just my favorite. So we could probably kind of talk about them both at once because we don't Mm -hmm. get Wylan's POV in this book. This is not really a spoiler, but if you haven't read Crooked Kingdom, you do get Wylan's POV in Crooked Kingdom, thankfully. But, like, full disclosure, I thought Wylan was going to die. I thought his ass was dead <laughs> because we were not getting his POV. So I was like, oh, that's that's because she's going to kill him. Like, I, I was sure he was going to die. And I was so stressed about it because, like, from the beginning, he's such a, a fun addition to the group as, like, mm-hmm. this this innocent privileged boy who's like kind of looks down on everyone and how they're all essentially criminals and he wants to think he's better than them but he's really not and then he like slowly realizes that he belongs and him and Jesper are flirting the whole time and it's so it's so good I love the Jesper Wyland dynamic and when they finally had their moment uh in the ice court where I didn't, I didn't pull this quote, but some, he says something like, you get a lot of girls, and Jesper's like, yeah, and then he's like, girls and boys? And Jesper's like, girls and boys. <laughs> and I was like, hey! <laughs> Well, and so I, think, I think it's also super sweet because I think initially when we're reading Jesper's character, like, he has some kind of like romantic inclination towards Kaz Mm -hmm. and so and that's clear that's clearly not really reciprocated not no like when when we get I think Kaz treats them all the same but when we get Kaz's POV obviously there's like his inner monologue reveals more on that front and his interest doesn't lie with Jesper and so I think that it just is really, I don't know, it just is really sweet to me somehow that Jesper goes from this extremely closed off, just like armor up, not giving an inch of like affection yeah. or anything like that, crush on Kaz, to Wyland, who is just like this like sweetie pie who wears his heart on his sleeve 24-7 because he doesn't know any better. And like isn't afraid to ask questions even though they're all stupid and they just make fun of him all the time and he it's just I don't know I just think that that's really sweet to kind of give Jesper that win in a way Mm -hmm. where he's like coming from such an unrequented love to like the start of maybe like a very sweet and affectionate relationship potentially no spoilers yeah yeah potentially yeah it is really it's like also he is unabashedly flirting with wyland like from the beginning so it's really interesting that he yeah with kaz obviously he has to be really restrained because i think part in part of their relationship is like they tentatively trust each other and like jesper kind of wants kaz's approval but he has to tiptoe around him whereas with wyland jesper just doesn't give a fuck and he like kind of thinks he's a loser so he (laughs) flirts with him unashamedly and it's so cute i'm obsessed obsessed they're my children i know they're so wholesome but um i think we should talk about my favorite character do you have any guess who my favorite character is is it Inej? 
It's Inej. I would die for her. Yes. I absolutely love her. I love her. Her story arc is really good. I think it's even better once you've finished Crooked Kingdom. I just am obsessed. First of all, I just, it just is so funny to me because Jesper, as we talked about, hilarious character, very Mm -hmm. outlandish, very flamboyant, very like in your face. You know, he wears loud clothes. He's very loud in general. And then Inej Mm -hmm. is just literal silence. Like that's her thing is she doesn't make any noise. She slips in, she slips out, but she just like slips in these little tiny comments. And I just imagine her, she's like the kid in the back of the classroom, like that girl from pitch perfect who like whispers she's like I hate oh yeah that's what i imagine inej <laughs> is just doing in the back just like all of this hilarious commentary and like witty banter between her and jesper but hers is definitely just like really soft and fast and i love that for her i also loved the arc of her coming from a place where she was enslaved, you know, she's taken from her home, kidnapped as a child, and then enslaved in this uh, prostitution establishment. What do you call it? I don't know. A uh, brothel? A brothel. That's what it's called. But, yeah. And, and that's a really, that's, both of those instances are super formative of people taking away her freedom taking away her agency most especially and then in this book we get to see her like embracing what she's like kind of been training for which is somebody who has a ton of agency and really can like she after Kaz I think she's like the deadliest one um yeah definitely and I think that's really interesting is like how she kind of become so powerful but also is still the same Inej that she was before she was kidnapped or she's like a mm-hmm. little acrobat who you know is really good at walking on like high wire and, and stuff like that and that's like what she's training to be and now she is able to use that as a semi-adult they're like 17 um in order to like give herself agency I think is very cool to me yeah, I agree. I think, first of all, her background is so cool. Like, the fact that she's an acrobat, that's just such a cool background. I've never read a story where someone's background is that they're a really talented acrobat. Like, she she wants, she enjoys, like, being on the rooftops and climbing. And, and like, her scenes where she's doing that, like, make my palms sweat just thinking about it because I I'm know. afraid of heights. So I, like, get so stressed. Like, in the incinerator scene, I was just so stressed for her. Well, and at the end, towards the end where they're, like, trying to... They end up stealing the tank, which is an incredible moment. But she's, like, trying to get them out. And they, like, break the window. And then she just jumps through the window. She's, like, I only... like. She's, like, talking about how she has one shot to, like, jump Mm -hmm. through the window, twist her body around to, like, grab the ledge or whatever. I don't know. It's insane. Crazy. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. She has, like, a lot of confidence in herself and her own abilities to, like, yes. like I've got one shot. I've got to do it. And she doesn't overthink it. And she just does it. I just, it's so satisfying to read from the POV of a character who's like that and who's a badass. And so when you're reading it, you're, 
you're able to trust that like even if something goes wrong they're gonna figure it out and i mean mm-hmm. with most of the characters in this story it's like that but especially kaz and inej which is why they are a great pairing is they both like kaz is just this ultimate schemer and inej is this ultimate uh wraith essentially like she can get around anything she can acrobatics her way out of anything mm-hmm. and she she's fearless and I also liked kind of what you said about how she's stayed the same person that she was mm-hmm. before she was kidnapped. Like, she's really religious, and she does not feel like her saints have given up on her because of what she went through. She remains faithful. She prays to them often. And she's she holds on to that decency mm-hmm. uh, and, like, want for something more. And I really love, I think... The incinerator scene is like a really big scene for her because that's kind of where she essentially finds her purpose. Because, yes. I mean, for most of the stories, she's just trying to survive. And then eventually she gets to this point where she's like, oh, wow, I might not survive. And like, actually, what's the point if I don't survive? Like, what if I just let myself go? Like, my shoes are melting into my feet. I'm really high up. I don't know if I can do this. And then it starts raining, and I'm going to read this quote because I love it. So she notices the rain, and then she says, She wanted a storm, thunder, wind, a deluge. She wanted it to crash through Ketterdam's pleasure houses, lifting roofs and tearing doors off their hinges. She wanted it to raise the seas, take hold of every slaving ship, shatter their masts, and smash their holes against unforgiving shores. I want to call that storm, she thought. And four million Kruger might be enough to do it. Enough for her own ship, something small and fierce and laden with firepower. Something like her. Which, love that. She would would hunt the slavers and their buyers. They would learn to fear her and they would know her by her name. The heart is an arrow. It demands aim to land true. She clung to the wall, but it was purpose she grasped grasped at long last and that carried her upward she was not a lynx or a spider or even the wraith she was a nej gaffa and her future was waiting above that was so satisfying and such a good so beautiful like such a well done scene yes and i and i love because the heart is an arrow it demands aim to land true is like this sort of tether throughout her story in this book and mm-hmm. that's like something that her dad used to say to her when she was little and and it was always in reference to like love like romantic love is very much so kind of how she sees it and this is like the moment where I don't know it just is like really beautiful to me that she uses this quote about love to find her way forward her path forward and that path is to like prevent anyone from suffering the way that she did and to Mm -hmm. like bring freedom to others now that she's like kind of found it for herself I think it's just I don't know it's just so beautiful and she's so powerful and she's a female icon I love her literally such an icon literally does no wrong also like, for real she, i know she's like flawless perfect. flawless no another thing i love about her is in kind of the the relationship that she has with kaz mm-hmm. i think they were saying this on the actia age podcast that a lot of stories kind of have a, a girl who's saving the guy 
And Inej is not going to save Kaz because she's very confident in her own worth. And she's she's known from ever since her father told her that story of um, how he learned her mom's favorite flower. And he tells her one day you'll find a man who will love your know your favorite flower or something like that. Um, she she wants that and she is not going to settle for anything less. And so when Kaz tells her, you know, stay in Ketterdam, she's like, and, and stay for what? Like I even Mm -hmm. have the quote here. She says, I lost it. I have it. Okay. You should read it. Okay. So she says, and how will you have me Kaz fully clothed gloves on your head turned away so your our lips can never touch i will have you without armor kaz brecker or i will not have you at all obsessed obsessed Obsessed. because she she could potentially like stay in ketterdom pining for him because she clearly likes him she really wants Mm -hmm. to be with him but she's like he's not giving me what i want and i'm not gonna wait around for it yes and i just we love an icon who knows what she wants and will not settle. I know. It's just, and I think that the course of their story throughout this book is so good because you do get all these little tiny flashes from her of her being like, you know, she, she likes him, Nina, um, and her kind of like talk about it and mm-hmm. it's apparent that she like is always wondering like is she just like what is she to him is she just like a like a powerful tool for him to use does he care more mm-hmm. about her you know so on and so forth and so when he gives her this like just the tiniest breadcrumb and he was like stay that's a huge that's like that was a huge moment for Kaz and like mm-hmm. a huge moment for him being vulnerable and like kind of taking a little bit of a leap of faith. And so as the reader, you're like, wow, because I've read Kaz's point of view, I know that this is huge for him. But then mm-hmm. for Inez to respond the way she does, I'm like, wow, as a reader who has read Inez's point of view, I know how huge it is for her to say no and ask for something more. And I think that it's just such a beautiful scene because you you see the growth in them both, mm-hmm. but it, it it doesn't necessarily equal like a quintessential, you know, quote unquote, happy ending for them, but it's still mm-hmm. just like a huge amount of growth anyways and so it was still really satisfying for me to read it was like one of the most romantic um like rejections i've ever read in a weird way (laughs) no it's so true because it's like you know that inej knows how huge it is that kaz is like conceded Mm -hmm. that to her out loud that he wants her and she still is not is like it's not enough and i think that that takes a lot of self assuredness and like motivation to to get what you're working for and not to settle and so I just Mm -hmm. I really loved that rejection and then also I mean as a reader we're like oh like we know this is going to continue in the next book and so that's Mm -hmm. just exciting because if we made this much progress in this book then what's gonna happen in the next one and I will say before because I do want to talk about uh Nina and 
Matthias. Um, but before we transition to them, I just want to bring up like, cause this was a, a scene that I hadn't really thought a ton about cause it happened so early on that then when I mm-hmm. finished it, I was like, oh, this was huge. So obviously we know by the end of the book that Kaz suffers from like a nearly like debilitating fear of like skin on skin contact. We figure out that's why he's actually wearing the gloves. He had an extremely, extremely traumatic um, event as a child. Extremely. That I was like, I was like, yo, I'm messed up too. Um, Just reading this. For real. And so you know how, how big of a deal it is for him to like have any kind of physical proximity with another person. Even when he has his gloves on and everything, or maybe he's not wearing his gloves, but when they get put in the prison cart and he it's like tight bodies Mm -hmm. and everything and he just like collapses he can't he can't Mm -hmm. handle it and so I just like thinking about that and then thinking about early on in the book when Inej is stabbed and he carries her to the boat and then once they get to the boat um Jesper like tries to take her and is like oh I'll I'll help you because he's also in a lot of pain because his leg really hurts and he Mm -hmm. like won't let Jesper take him Jesper tries multiple times take an edge and he like won't let him he's the one who carries her all the way in um to the bed or whatever for Nina to help her and he like does that kind of unnecessarily like he didn't need to carry her that far and I Mm -hmm. think in like a re thinking about that scene I was just thinking about how huge it is when we know that a she's the only person that he takes his gloves off around Mm -hmm. and b he's like willing to have unnecessary prolonged contact with like holding her he still has his gloves on and everything but she's like very physically close when he's carrying her and he's in Mm -hmm. a lot of pain and it's like just such a priority to him to be the one to like take her to help that he's like no nobody else help me I'm gonna do this and I just thought that was really sweet that's so true I had totally forgotten about that scene because you're right it happens so early on and it happens mm-hmm. before his backstory is revealed so like at, at the point that this happens like, we whatever. don't know how stressful it is for him to have contact like that mm-hmm. so wow yeah you're right I had when forgotten I- about that I think the moment where she gets stabbed, and we can talk about this maybe more at Crooked Kingdom because I have thoughts, but I think this moment where she stabs so early in Six of Crows is actually like the marker for the turning point in their relationship. I think that's the first time that he's like, oh crap, if I lost her, this would be really bad for me. Like, I think this yeah. is the first time that he like sort of, realizes his own feelings towards her that's my theory yeah no i think you're right because it doesn't really ever talk about his feelings toward her from his point of view until that point in the story when Mm -hmm. he's freaking out so yeah Yeah. i really like that i'm glad you picked up on that scene because like that's something that i would have only picked up on a reread i did not pick that up when first reading it okay should we talk about nina and matthias i feel like we can kind of talk about them together we talked about the yeah let's let's talk about them together um what did you what do you think of them 
So, I mean, as far as this whole cast of six characters, I think in this book they were... They're not my favorites. Just because there's not... I don't know. There's just not quite as much depth, maybe. I don't know. Mm. Like, they just on the one feel, hand... They feel more disconnected. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. They really feel like additions to the crew, which is interesting because I, I think Jesper, Kaz, and Inej are like our already pre-existing friends. But right. I think Wylan falls in pretty easily with them. I think so, too. In a way that I don't separate him out, but I do separate Nina and Matthias. Maybe it's because they both are trying to get to their, like, quote-unquote homelands. Like, they they don't consider Ketterdam, like, anything more than, like, a stopping point. They're not there for any kind of long-term stay, willingly. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus the others. I mean, Inej is obviously indentured there so she couldn't leave if she wanted to but she seems like it just she comes across more like this is like my home this is where i live kind of thing than nina yeah. or matthias do yeah it's true they both kind of have these other ulterior motives and i think at one point during the heist like they have this secret plan between them to kill Bo yulbyer before obviously they find out that he's dead so they they kind of you're right are like on their own and then they also have this backstory together where like everyone else's backstory is kind of their own thing but Mm -hmm. nina and matthias's backstory is something that happens with both of them present um and i did really like how like when we first meet matthias clearly he that like there's something going on because like he wants to kill nina but nina is like crying over him when she sees him and and so Mm -hmm. it's like okay there's something going on here and i loved how their backstory was just like like pieced together slowly throughout the story parts of it would just get dropped in and it never felt unnatural i never was frustrated at being taken away from the main story i was just as engaged with their backstory um i really liked their backstory i thought it was really interesting i get i guess just maybe their dynamic in the group is a little bit less interesting although i do love how matthias is always just kind of this one this guy who's like judging everyone else because the fjordans think they're better than everyone else (laughs) and so he's just always like just kind of there like being oblivious and clueless kind of like wyland but then like in a judgmental religious i'm better than you way i just found that to be (laughs) really entertaining i yeah i would agree um, I think I also really liked Matthias's journey and I thought we got to see it in a very clear and fairly natural way where it's like, okay, he mm-hmm. starts out and he hates Nina. He hates anybody who has any kind of magic. He considers them demons and it's like he's very entrenched in not only his like religious aspects of himself i'm trying to think of the word that i was going for but he's like he's just so rigid in his beliefs and when he starts considering that maybe those beliefs aren't right or are incomplete um he think he has like a really genuine 
struggle and he has to really wrestle with that and it's like okay well if if my beliefs are wrong and these people I've been hunting are actually humans and not something animal less than an animal then like Mm -hmm. now I have to reckon with the fact that I like murdered people just like this woman that I love and then when he does eventually have that encounter with Brom who's his old mentor and he like really has to distinctly choose sides I think that that was really like a well done twist and I'm not gonna lie when it happened I was like oh shoot he really gonna do this isn't he I was I thought you thought he had betrayed Nina she had me fooled I thought yeah (laughs) I was yeah that was written really well where I was like oh shit he was gonna turn on her all along but then i remember stopping and being like nah there's no way they're in love like, yeah <laughs> he loves her and she's so hot he's gotta like overcome I that know. and he did but yeah yes. i agree i really enjoyed his journey of like he's clearly been indoctrinated mm-hmm. into That's the word i was hating so long my religious aspecting i just wanted to say indoctrinated (laughs) that's all i was looking for yeah it reminded me a lot of the journey of a certain character in throne of glass who i don't want to name for spoilers but you know who i'm talking about if you've read throne of glass this journey of like being indoctrinated to hate a certain group of people and then coming to really having to like reckon with this realization that you might have been wrong your whole life and that your beliefs are wrong and you can change them and and I like that like it it's only taken him this book I mean we see this transformation happen over the course of just one book and I'm sure his journey I mean finishing this book I was like I'm sure his journey's going to continue in Crooked Kingdom but it is nice to see like significant progress happening in one book because mm-hmm. if he had been annoying and just a hater for the whole book I would have been so sick of him because <laughs> well, I don't like him in the beginning yeah and I think that to leave Bardugo's credit she gets away with it with him like having a fairly robust transformation over the course of one book because his transformation starts off screen like when he like he and Nina have this whole history. They were together mm-hmm. for like weeks and like all of this was already building up of these thoughts of, you know, she, I'm spending a prolonged time with the enemy and she's human to me. And there's like humanity in her. He has to kind of, he has a, a slide back obviously because she does throw him in prison. But right. there's, there's all of this backstory pre-established that he's already started sort of working out those thoughts and like those cogs have already started turning in his head before they leave for Fierda. Yeah, Fierda. And so I think it makes his transformation, while it does only happen over the course of one book, to me at least, it didn't feel like rushed or a sudden like flipping of a coin. Oh, he was this and now he's yeah. this, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's totally true because it had already, st- the journey had already started and we got glimpses of it revealed to us so that you're right. We see that it's kind of this prolonged thing he's been through and not mm-hmm. something that happened overnight. I agree. And I think like when we're talking about Nina, 
I think I just like don't have that much to say about Nina because she doesn't have much of an arc in this story. But I do like that she is very confident and self-assured in like her acting skills and like Mm -hmm. using her sex appeal to her advantage. She's just like not afraid to like I have so so much social anxiety that any of the tasks that she has to do, like when she's pretending to like seduce Brom, I was like, I'm so stressed for you, but she just does it so easily. Like she just, she's fearless, kind of like Inej, but I was gonna she say, has different skills. Yeah. Yeah. Her and Inej are both, it's just, it's interesting because both of them are so fearless and so like assured in who they are. Versus all of the other male characters in this book are like so conflicted and actively trying to suppress who they are and are like trying to be something that they're not. That I think it's very interesting that it's just, to me, it feels like such a clear juxtaposition between the guys lacking this ability to own who they really are and like own their own past. Versus the girls mm-hmm. are owning that 110% and are so confident in themselves and in what they deserve. And how it like, that makes them fearless versus we see on the guy's side, I can think, so they all, it's like their own lack, like their fear causes them to make mistakes. Like we see that yeah. with... Kaz and the Pekka Rollins in the prison where he like that's a big mistake oh why'd you do that bro um true I can't believe he just like shot the plan to hell because he was like so dumb so fixated on this man and then Jesper Jesper we we find out was Brad like he was telling people about how he was going on this big heist because he owed Uh all these people money and that's how they end up getting attacked and Inej gets stabbed. And then Matthias, it's the same thing where he's like so insistent that he is right and he's like a Druskal and all this stuff. It just like makes him a pain the entire book. Um, yeah. And it just is like, I don't know. I just find it interesting that the guys' fear, I feel like, is such an inconvenience to the entire team, like, sets them all back, versus the girls are fearless and are only assets, in my opinion. That's so true. I never even noticed, like, that distinction between the the girls and the guys in the group, but it's really true, and it's so refreshing to read from the perspective of women who are strong and self-assured, um, and then seeing men have to struggle with their self-assurance for once. <laughs> Well, and I I especially love it because I think I can think of a few books where we've read that have really strong female protagonists who like do kind of go on this hero's journey, but they really start from like deeply broken places where Mm -hmm. they like can't really function or be self-assured because they just like can't recover from that brokenness. Versus Inej and Nina have both been broken, but have emerged self-assured despite that brokenness. And, like, it's not that they're healed. It's not that they're, you know, 100% or anything like that. It's just that they can find their self-confidence despite, you know, all of this suffering that they are and have experienced. 
It's true. It's like their self-confidence is something that they hold on to, mm-hmm. like to cope almost, which yeah. is really cool, I think. I would agree. A good, a good coping mechanism. Yes. Because <laughs> some of the <laughs> other coping mechanisms that these characters have are not yeah. great. Anyways, girls in this book for the win. That's all I got to yeah, say. Yeah, for real. Yeah, I think, I mean, that kind of covers all of the thoughts that I had about the characters. One thing I did just like want to mention is, I mean, we don't have to get into the mechanics of the heist, but it was so well written. I loved how there were constant twists and like you knew the plan was going to go wrong and it kept going wrong. But Kaz is such a quick thinker that he would like think of a new plan and it would work anyway. And then the way it was written with the bells. So you would see chapter or whatever and then eight bells or nine bells and three quarters whatever that was so nice because a story like that a heist where you're switching povs constantly has potential to be so confusing but mm-hmm. it was actually really easy to follow because it was like okay we know that they're supposed to meet congregate here at 11 bells so okay it's 10 bells and three quarters so we have 15 minutes for all this stuff to happen like i was just always knowing where we were in like what time it was and i just really appreciated that i gotta be honest i gave zero thoughts to the bells really? i was like i was like all right ding-a-ling-a-ling idk <laughs> i yeah did not the only time i did was when nina and kaz were supposed to meet and she was like it's been however many bells and like they were all waiting in the incinerator to like climb. oh yeah and they're like, the bells have passed. Um, that was the only time I registered any bell content at all. That's so funny. I was so it. tuned into it. I was checking every time because there was always some like predetermined, like, okay, meet here at 11 bells or this needs to be done by nine bells or whatever. And so that just like really, it, it, it made me stressed because I would be like, okay, they have 15 minutes to climb up this incinerator or whatever it is. Like you better get on that and it just made it so much more like fast-paced and fun to read in my opinion so (laughs) that's funny you didn't even notice it (laughs) yeah i need to do a reread and focus in on the bells more clearly i feel like i really missed something yeah the bells only show up in you know how this book is like divided into like parts sections yeah um the part that's called it's the second to last one and it's called The Ice Does Not Forgive, part five. All the chapters in that part have the bells and the rest of them don't. So if you read, reread just that part and pay attention to the bells, it's so good. Because you, you know in your head what's going on with the other characters at the same time. And it's, it's just so good. Wow. Had no idea. It was so well written. I loved it. Oh, I see. Wow. You know, I didn't even pay, I did not pay a lick of attention to that. I feel <laughs> like a dum-dum. That's so funny. Well, if anyone else um, listening has not paid attention to that, I would encourage you to reread the heist part and pay attention to the what time it is because it really, like, for me, it really helped with the pacing. Wow. I always knew where we were. Fascinating. <laughs> the more you know. All right. <laughs> so after our elaborate discussion, um, what's your what's your rating now? 
Um, I think that my rating is going to stay solidly at 9 out of 10 because I think this book was fantastic, but we had a just a couple like places where I'm going to be nitpicky and say like for example Nina and Matthias were a little bit lacking in characterization in this book. And it's the first book in a series and so like a, a lot of arcs are not yet complete. Mhm. And so there's just just a little bit of potential for more but it's it's nearly a perfect book to me i I would agree i would agree i think that there were some characters that felt like i like i was slow to get invested in um Mm -hmm. and yeah i would say wyland nina and matthias all were took some time yeah definitely took some time and definitely just like the the investment wasn't there for me um, quite yet. I mean, I still enjoyed them. I think they played an important role, but that that would kind of be my little little nitpick. Also, there were certain things like the Jasper and Kaz conversation that we were talking about earlier about him. You know, it was a conversation we didn't get to see when they were planning the fabricator. Him, him mm-hmm. using his fabricator powers. And I think mm-hmm. that there... And maybe this is like credit to Lee Bardugo. There were just several scenes that happened off screen that I just would have loved to hear. And yeah, I'm sad that I didn't fair. get them. And so that makes me bitter and leaves it at an 8.5 for me. All right. Well, we did not change our ratings this time around. No. But... Safe to say this this book goes under the category of things that I'm obsessed with because yes, I I love it so much. And um we're not going to talk about the show yet because we will eventually talk about that on a new episode, but I just have to say I watched episode 1 and I'm I love Gaz. I love him I know. so much. He's so perfect. I the, <laughs> so far so we've perfect. seen we've seen Kaz, Inez, and Jesper in that first episode of Shadow and Bone, and they are spot on. Perfect. All three of them, literally Perfect. flawless. Yes. And I mean, maybe we'll see what happens as the show goes on, but like, oh, I'm obsessed. I'm so obsessed. It was like seeing my mental images come to life on the screen. There's nothing better. Literally nothing better. Nothing better. Yeah. So satisfying. So we'll see if the well, Court of Thorn and Roses uh, TV show oh is... Oh my God. When that comes out in fucking 2028 or some shit. (laughs) (laughs) We found out about it so early. We're going to have to suffer for so long for it. R.I.P. hate that. R.I.P. Pour one out for us. (laughs) Waiting for that show. (laughs) Well, yeah. Next time we'll talk about Crooked Kingdom. And I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, Kaz is going to go get his girl. Yeah. That's what he says at the end of this book. Go get your money. Go get your girl. And that's that go on that. Go get your girl. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at the Great Obsession Pod. You can email us at thegreatobsessionpod at gmail.com. Is that right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.